Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. As always, I'm appreciative for you tuning in each week. Last week, we had the first part of my interview with Joy Harris and her son, Jason Harris, who's a pastor in Australia. And if you weren't here last week, be sure to go back and listen to part one. Otherwise, you might be a little lost where we pick up with part two today. So as a review, we talked about Joy's background and how she met Larry, who was her abusive husband, and Jason growing up with six siblings as a missionary's kid, and the horrible child abuse that the children suffered, as well as Joy suffering from sexual abuse. And we're just going to call it rape because that's what it is. And emotional, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse. And if you've been following along, Joy's oldest son, Kevin, was one of my classmates in college. And then we talk about Larry, the profile of an abuser. What does an abuser look like? We're going to continue talking about abuse and the church. Why does this keep happening in the church? Why are pastors not trained to deal with abuse? Why are they just telling the victims to submit? Why are they discounting the children, bringing forth abuse allegations and being ignored or pushed aside? And we're going to talk about today the ways that Joy and Jason have healed. I mean, we're we're not going to be healed 100% this side of eternity. There are some tools, some techniques, some methods. Everybody is different, but we're going to hear how have they coped? Where, the, where do they still need healing? And they're going to talk about if you are relating to some of what they're saying in this interview, what they advise you on how to get help. So I hope that um, you continue to listen to their powerful story today as we wrap up our conversation. And again, this is an episode where we talk about rape, not in a graphic detail, but the concept of rape and assault. Without further ado, here's part two of my conversation with Joy Harris and Pastor Jason Harris. So he did go to prison for five years. How did that how did that go down? Yeah, he was sentenced to two five-year prisons to be served concurrently, meaning together, and but only only 20 years time served. Sorry, 20 months <laughs> time served. So he was in prison for one year and eight months. That's and, it? Uh, yeah. So, and he's, he's now out. Um, um, I forget what it's called, but 
basically a, uh, like a suspended sentence. If, if he behaves, he can stay free. You have to be kidding. He got out on what? Good behavior? No, no, this was just, it was five years, um, whatever they call it, basically, uh, they're going to keep an eye on him for five years, but the actual time sentence was only 20 months, and he served the full, full amount. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it is a token of justice. It's not justice. But of course, the court viewed him as being remorseful, which they don't base on him, his emotion, but on his act of of uh, pleading guilty, even though that act you know, was done to get less time because he knew he was going to lose, um, they still view it as remorse. So, you know, it, the system is not perfect, but we are among the very lucky ones who got some degree of justice. So mm-hmm. few domestic violence situations are prosecuted. It's, uh, we are very, very lucky. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, the justice system is um, not always what we want, that's for sure, especially here in the States. Um, Now, we'll shift gears here. Let's talk about Kevin. (laughs) Now, my listeners have heard me talk briefly about Kevin because we went to the same school. I considered him a friend. And he was always kind to me. Uh, he was very careful about what he would say to me when I would ask him for advice in school. And um, yeah, I'll tell you one story about having uh, words with Larry. A bunch of us singles went to a VFBT for a missions conference. Um, we all carpooled together. And uh, that's when I found out <laughs> Kevin's a terrible driver, by the way. But on the way back, there was some, <laughs> there was some miscommunication on the meetup time or place to drive back, back to school. And Larry was on the phone with me, yelling and screaming at me, and calling me a liar because something went wrong with the wires crossed, and he was. He was just yelling and screaming at me and throwing the whole book at me like passive. Do you want to talk about passive aggressive? <laughs> Everything that I ever did wrong that he never told me about. It was like he just decided to just let me have it. You know, this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And I was just bawling my eyes out. I was crying my eyes out because I didn't know well, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Um, and so we all got into the car that the kids and and Kevin driving and I'm like crying all the way back to school and then Kevin drops everybody off at their house and then we're at we're at um at the guy's driveway and he dropped Debbie off and then it was just me and Kevin in the car in the dark by the way (laughs) yeah write that down on your calendar um we were in the car by ourselves in the dark I said, well, can I talk to you? And he says, yeah, sure. I want to talk about what happened with your dad. And so we, we talked about it. And I said, I didn't, I, I, before God, I didn't do anything wrong. I, this is what Mrs. Mrs. Hooper told me. This was where our, uh, our meetup place is. And 
oh, we started talking about other stuff, like you should never complain and never say anything negative. It always has to be praise the Lord. God is good. Praise the Lord. He's always like that with me. And he said to me, even if your grandmother died, if somebody comes up to you and asks how you're doing, you'll have to say, I'm doing fantastic. Well, that's that's stuffing your feelings and wearing a mask. And, um, and I asked him, I said, well, why can't I say, well, I'm, I'm feeling a bit down today because my grandmother died. And he told me, well, because Jesus died for you on the cross and you're not going to hell. So you're still doing fantastic. And I was always jealous of people who were raised in Christian homes. And I told Kevin that, you know, it's easier to be positive because you were raised in a Christian home. And, and he said, well, it was very difficult living with six siblings. I mean, I am now glad that I wasn't raised IFB. I mean, I had a normal childhood. I wore pants. I wore shorts. I wore swimsuits. I listened to all kinds of music went to public school, went to the prom, I still had to choose to live for Christ on my own. Kevin, Kevin has definitely changed. I mean, I mean, we were all in the same classes and he, I thought he was super Christian. I really thought he was like the epitome of what a Christian should look like. And I looked up to him and I mean, I'm sorry to say when I, when I saw him on 60 Minutes, I didn't recognize him. I mean, his eyes were different and that grin on his face, uh, I mean, it nauseated me. I'm sorry, but he just, he looked like a different person. Anyway, so Jason, you can tell me what he, he is, yeah, I can't even find the words for it. He wants your mom to repent. Repent from what? <laughs> Not being by yeah. my man's side. That's his. Yeah. Look, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about this situation you just described with my dad. That's, That's um, crazy. very typical, very mm -hmm. typical. Um, people who are on the fringes of, you know, who are kind of in the life, but didn't, didn't have the inside scoop, but every now and again, it would come out and they would, they would be kind of disturbed and blown away. Like what happened? Um, and what you described with Kevin, that, that toxic positivity, um, perfectly describes his approach. And he learned it from, from Pastor Scott, um, that you forgive and then you forget or choose not to remember. And, um, negative emotions are viewed as bad emotions or bad things. In fact, any emotion is a little bit suspect. Uh, the only emotion you're really supposed to have is joy. And, and when they say joy, they don't mean joy because God is always good in every situation, but joy because you're just supposed to be happy because of, you know, you're not going to hell or whatever. But it's really the, the, the positive emotion of joy that's the point, not the God who gives us that joy. So, you know, the notion of joy while you're sad seems odd but it's not odd it's that's in fact that's that's a pauline emotion you know always always rejoicing uh and how does it say always um i can't remember the, the text but you know paul is saying i've got 
chronic pain because we live in a sin cursed world and right. chronic joy because God is who he is, you know? So the emotions, it, it's all, I think all of us have had to recover from the way emotions were thought about. I mean, you're just being fake. Hope. You can't be yourself. Yes. You can't be real. You have to wear this mask. That's yes. right. And the problem is the, the biblical term for that is darkness. That which hides the truth, that which hides reality is darkness in scripture. And it's addressed at length. And it's, it's what wicked men love. It's not what good men love. It's what wicked men love. Good people love the light. They come to the light because they're born of the light. They have darkness, but they hate it and they hide from it. They run from it and they, they seek to expose it to the light of the truth. So, yeah, it's a fundamentally unchristian way to live life, but somehow it's managed to be viewed as Christian in much of church culture. It's very destructive. Yes, Kevin overtly, explicitly blamed mom for her rape. That is pathetic. Just it's... as simple as that. Words don't describe it. Just... If dad deserves prison, so do I, he said. What? Yes, I mean, yes. She withheld what was rightfully his, so um, and you can literally go read the exact words he said on the files. Oh, um, yeah, I have I have read the files. Yeah, it's it's just, I think most people who, who've read that kind of thing oh, must be taken out of context. It just has to be. But, you know, if you look there, you'll you'll see you can actually read some of it in context. There's nothing out of context. Um, and we've asked Kevin, even recently, we've asked him, please, please tell us anything that we got inaccurate here. It, it is the, it is perversion. Perversion is twisting. Um, Christians twist God's word so that the victim is the bad guy and the perpetrator is the good guy. And it's intolerable. It is so, it's not Christian. It's not Christian. Christians have got to stop being perverted and perverting morality. Uh, it's a very cult-like environment. Um, I think the word cult, we have to be very careful with it. Um, but it is very dangerous. Yeah, everybody recognizes Jehovah Witness as a cult, but what I know about spiritual abuse now and um, being in a healthy church now and the churches that I was a part of, um, I would agree that there are definitely churches out there that are cult-like. They just seek to control and have power over you. You have no choices at all. And there's one guy in charge and that's it. There is an obsession in much of evangelical Christianity with power, and um, particularly in the independent Baptist movement, that um, power, power, you know, you see it in celebrity churches, you see it in um, single pastor churches where one guy has all the power and holds it very firmly. I, you know, I've had this week pastors quoting at me, you know, you have to obey, the Bible says obey, obey your pastors, and you're like, is that the only verse in the Bible about the church and pastors? And, you know, authority, power, is a trust. James tell us, tells us, be not many masters. Be scared of power. Because mm -hmm. if you have the power, with that power comes the responsibility to protect everyone under your authority. It's your job. And it's not good enough to just come in later. You have to foresee it and do everything in your power to avoid it. You're a shepherd. 
And if someone gets hurt on your watch, um, God's going to be asking you questions. What did you do? How did, how did you take steps to make sure it wouldn't happen in the first place? And then what did you do to protect them afterwards? Your power is from God for the protection of the vulnerable. Pastors just don't think this way. And they have to. They have to. Um, God takes his power very seriously. When he sees, he talks in the Old Testament about the prophets. He said, I gave you all this power. I made you shepherds. And you went out and you're eating the sheep. You're beating the sheep. Mm. You're, you're letting the sheep wander. He says, you're wicked shepherds. He is not impressed with people who take his authority and his word and use it to harm his sheep. That's right. And he's not going to put up with it. It's, mm. uh, it's a scary place to be. Sorry, that's my, my power. Rant. It's, it's... Oh, I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, <laughs> oh. I was even floored to hear that Kevin was defending Jack Scopp. And these pedophiles, I, I mean, would Kevin feel that way if one of his precious, one of his daughters was groomed by somebody in his church and violated his daughters? I have a hard time believing that he would sit still for that and say, oh, it's, it's my daughter's fault too, because she consented to it. Are you kidding me? I mean, children I, in IFB churches are not taught sex education. That's I'm finding that out really quickly. They're not taught what is good touch or bad touch. They're not taught basic anatomy for the body parts. They don't know if they're being groomed as a child. For somebody to say this child was consenting to it too is evil. Yes. The, the adult is the one who initiated the sexual activity after they gained the child's trust. Children aren't just not told that you, you, you're allowed to say no. They're actually told the opposite. You shouldn't be mean. You shouldn't say no. You shouldn't, you have no rights. These are all things that Christians routinely teach children. So you're pretty much preparing them, creating the, the ideal environment for, for victims of sexual assault. It's, Yes, I wish I had the confidence you have, but this is why we went public. Um, I've seen too many pastors, independent Baptist pastors, throw their own kids on the bus, refuse to defend their kids, blame their kids. Um, kids have to stand up in front of the church and apologize for being sexually involved, sex, I quote, sexually involved with the deacon. Um, horrors, just horrors. And... Um, Unfortunately, these, these, they, they actually stay consistent even when it happens to their own kids. And I would like to think that that wouldn't happen with Kevin, but there's one thing that I know about him is he's one of the most consistent people oh, yeah. you've ever met. If he believes it, he sticks to it no matter what. And that's, that's dangerous. That's scary. The reason why we have grace is because we can't fulfill the law. We can't keep all the commandments. It's impossible. So it sounds like he's le he's living by the law and there's no room for any grace or compassion or empathy whatsoever. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, he has empathy and compassion, but he's not going to let us stop him from doing right. And this is impossible to even believe. But right now in Christianity, particularly conservative evangelicalism, there's actually a debate right now about whether empathy is sin. 
Like this is a real debate about sinful empathy. That if you're putting yourself in someone's shoes and feeling what they feel, well, if they're wrong, well, now you're sinning. This is something that Christian pastors are with a straight face discussing right now. And it's, um, we, how far we've come, it's, it's scary. It's, it's really, ridiculous. Really scary. It, it is. It's, it's perverted. It's perverted. That doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> no, it's hard to believe. It really, you just kind of double take. But no, this is a real, real discussion among Christians and it's tearing churches uh, apart. So what, what happened with the anti-Semitism remarks that he made? I mean, what, what did he actually uh, say? I mean, got in he said there. something along the lines that um, he, he was, I think he was interviewing a rabbi and um, they were talking about, you know, rejecting the Messiah and Jesus being the Messiah. And, and Kevin made the comment, something along the lines that if Jewish people reject Jesus as Messiah, that they will experience something far worse than the Holocaust. I know, I know what he's saying, but it, um, I don't think it was wise. It's not tactful to say that to a rabbi. It's, uh, yeah. It's extremely inflammatory in the worst possible way. Uh, you know, these people, this is, this is a traumatic thing for, for Jewish people, for many Jewish people. There's genuine, deep generational trauma there, and rightly so. And, uh, yeah, so obviously it didn't go well. The press picked it up. I mean, it doesn't build bridges or, or create relationships <laughs> with people. You know what I mean? Nah, it just puts them on the, you know, I don't want to talk to this <laughs> This man, there's no chance that they're ever going to ever want to talk to another Christian. So did the Preacher's Fellowship in Australia dump him or? He, 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 I think that's conflating two stories. The Baptist Union in Australia and New South Wales actually publicly stated that they're not associated with him, but they never were associated with him. They were oh. just trying to make it very clear that they're different from the guy who's saying that stuff publicly. Obviously, they didn't want it to reflect on themselves. Um, yeah. So. Now, the Baptist Union uh, is a mainstream denomination in Australia. The independent Baptists are very much separate from them and have their own institutions. And uh, that is what Kevin say, is a part of. But um, Kevin broke with all of his mentors, he, um, all of this happened long before 60 Minutes, the uh, uh, breaking of all the relationships from sending pastors and mentors and things like that. So was there, did something happen that made him do that? Or uh, it's very odd, it, it, I mean. Yeah, it was a pattern of him becoming, I think, more hard-nosed and just more and more situations where um, he was acting unwisely and they tried to encourage him to go another direction and he didn't. So, you know, so it's not really big things. It's just, it's just when you have really dogmatic views about everything, yeah. um, relationships break down. You can isolate yourself. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, a lack of accountability, lack of transparency, lack of um, humility. Um, look, it can happen. You know, my, my relationship with, with Wendell is, is also not great. Um, but um, I think 
it is, it is really important to keep accountability. And had Kevin had somebody in his life who could tell him, look, you're wrong. You need to, you need to back down on this. It would have been the best thing for him. But those people aren't there, unfortunately. So he's his own island, it sounds like. That to try to talk to him over a period of time, um, we're told that he had the mind of Christ. And there's also no agreeing to disagree on anything. Hmm. Wow. That's really unfortunate. So with the whole 60 Minutes thing, did did you guys contact 60 Minutes or did they contact you or when when it became clear to us that um Kevin Kevin was blaming mom. This is after dad's conviction. Mm-hmm. Kevin was blaming mom. Um, as we discussed it with him, he brought up Jack Scott, you know, he made a point of bringing up a, ped- a convicted pedophile and saying, you know, this guy is is a victim, you know, just just as much as Larry is, and um, and we, we you know we pushed him on. We we raised questions like, well, will you call the police if if someone in your church is raped? You know, will you do you handle it in house? These kinds of questions, and his answers came back all dangerously wrong like dangerous um we investigate first if the person repents then we don't go to police Um, we handle it in-house we only go to police if they won't repent and after we've church disciplined them but just dangerous dangerous thinking and of course we have their grandkids in the church yeah um and and look i used to be there I, i i know these people i love these people and it just got dangerous. It just got this guy's dangerous. He's really, this is dangerous. You can't, you can't be like this. People are sending their kids to your church and expecting that Christians are going to be a safe place to send mm-hmm. their kids. You know, you should be able to send your kids to Sunday school. But the, the fact is, if one of the children has something happen, it will not be reported to the police. He's telling us that. Um, and so we felt we didn't have a choice about mm-hmm. talking anymore. We, we had to do something. And so that's when we contacted 60 Minutes. And, hmm. uh, I always wonder about those tell-all shows. I mean, they always talk about that they edit the show to make certain people sound different. Did you feel like like they were fair? Did you feel respected and, and treated well by them? What was your experience? They came to us um, beforehand to talk things through. Go ahead, Jay. They were very respectful to us in telling our story. Um, we, we intentionally went to 60 Minutes because they're more, uh, we, we felt they were quite a, a reputable program. Um, but no, you know, I don't look, I don't think they got every detail of the story exactly right. And I don't agree with every bias they had in going into it. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't expect to and I don't need to. I think they did a great job of of doing their job as journalists to try to find the truth. Uh, they went to great efforts. They gave people a fair hearing. And um, and those who were willing to clarify their position came out quite good. I think Scott Wendell was mm-hmm. willing to say, it's wrong, rape is always wrong, crime will be reported. Like, And he came out looking yeah. pretty good. You know, he looked yeah. like, I think he came out, it, it was clear that, that he'd made some mistakes, but he came out a, a good man. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin had the option of at any point, you know, 
doing anything to just clarify, hey, I think rape is always wrong. Um, no, I don't hold my mom responsible for being raped. And to this day, never has. He doesn't. He hasn't because he doesn't. He, he definitely 100% thinks that it's okay. You know? <laughs> so, um, no, look, we had no problem with, with 60 Minutes. We thought they did a great job. I think we both felt very respectful. And when they, uh, the reporter kind of pushed Kevin a little bit, he walked out of the interview. He felt uncomfortable. It was obvious he was uncomfortable. Yes. If you... If you feel that you are being ambushed um, as a Christian, I think it's a great time to take the verse, always ready to give a reason. Um, in those situations, God will tell you what to say. You know, the, those passages apply to this sort of a situation. And I think if somebody is asking you, is right bad? As a Christian, you just need to be ready to say yes. Just that simple. Yes, rape is bad. Always. It's always bad. And the reason Kevin was in trouble in that interview was because he could not and would not say rape is evil. Men don't do it. God hates it. Don't do it. It's evil. Women, if you're raped, we'll help you. We'll call the police. We'll support the police to help. He doesn't believe that. And that's why he had trouble. He had trouble because they asked him exactly the right question. And his answer is evil. And yeah. that is the issue here. So I just, you know, he was ambushed. Well, that's not the point at all. He, he, he knew there was going to be an interview and he knew that these were, were major issues and he just doesn't believe something that's morally good. Right. So let's go back to, to Larry. Um, I'm just um, surprised that, okay, he gets remarried to, her name is Jill, is that right? He gets remarried. That really concerns me that as a woman, I mean, I know that my ex-husband is abusing his now wife. I, I haven't talked to him in years, but I, I'm, I can nearly guarantee that he's doing the same thing to her that he did to me. Do you have those concerns for Jill? I mean, do you think that he's abusing her too? She met him ironically when they were both doing prison ministry together and she was there at his sentencing hearing. So she heard the charges read out. She heard the victim statements. She knew what she was getting into. That doesn't mean that I don't feel compassion for her. Uh, the truth is I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's happening in that marriage. And, you know, I can't afford to put too much emotional energy into it. Yeah. Had she not known what he was, I certainly would have made sure to tell her. If he picked up that phone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I I did do that to previous mm -hmm. people in his life, uh, sometimes pastors and sometimes other people. Just just let them know the person you're dealing with, you know, has a history. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we just have to sort of let her make her decisions, and I hope she doesn't get hurt. So, Joy, what, what do the rest of the kids feel about what has happened? They all have suffered from it, um, their, their own experience. Um, they all, at first, it was a bit of a shock that mom was leaving dad, um, but at this point, everybody's very supportive, um, bar Kevin. 
um, Sharon tried to be friends to both. Mm -hmm. So she, she's, that's why she was at the wedding and mm -hmm. she used to visit and all, and that's her choice. And I, for all of them, I don't put, I try not to put them in the middle. You know, what's he doing now? What have you heard? What yeah. did he say? I, I don't care for one thing, but, um, it, you know, it's not fair to them, but I felt very supported, um, especially by my sons and, and the daughters, of course. But, um, I mean, Jason took me into his home. Yeah. And um, Scott took me into his home when I first left and just always there, no matter what I need, helping me financially. Jason spent hours setting up a budget for me and, and helping me with financial advice. And just, uh, there's no words to express how grateful I am. Absolutely. Mm. And, and even just um, helping me rethink, you know, God is not going to turn his back on me because I do something wrong. He's, yeah. going to look at me and he's going to see christ you know just Absolutely. the whole rethinking of my theology and it is definitely a mind game when i left i had the same mental blocks and have to rethink things i actually thought when i left that that god was going to punish me mm -hmm. and oh, until yeah. one of my friends who was the catalyst for me leaving she said you know diane i'm tired of you calling me up and telling me this man's abusing you you need to get out of there and i'm like i can't church won't let me and and you know it's against god's law and all this and she's like you know god's not going to stop loving you because you left your abusive husband and that it was just like a light bulb went off you're right god isn't going to stop loving me he loves me for who i am and i i thought it was gonna feel condemnation when i got out but i didn't it was the opposite i felt very loved and mercy and compassion and i don't have a verse for that but that's how i felt mm. i didn't feel fire and brimstone oh well i'm here to care for you i'm here to, to love you so you're divorced and you're starting a new life i'll, I'll have to say this <laughs> when i saw that video the the first thing I noticed was joy in pants. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen you in a pair of pants. <laughs> I'm like, wow. That's look at that. I never wore them. <laughs> you never, and me ever. both, sister. You and me both. I never wore pants until I, I got out of the IFB. And it's mm -hmm. really not that big of a deal, you know? It's like, it's just pants. Um, what, what kind of methods or what kind of tools did you use to heal from trauma i know that we're not going to 100 percent heal from this on this side of eternity but i mean are there some things that helped you in your healing journey it's a very good question um and it's important first of all um i didn't realize i was in abuse you know i just thought i was with a christian husband who, right. yeah. so i got on the internet and i got books and i educated myself and I remember the first time that the cycle of abuse wheel came up, mm -hmm. that is a universal pattern. I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. Mm. Number one, I did not feel alone anymore. I'm not the only one. And this, you know, this is something that people recognize. You know, I have been, <laughs> I named it. Um, mm -hmm. this, this thing of me not being allowed to send out an email without him approving it. Um, with 
like Jason will tell you, when I first moved in with him, every other word was, I'm sorry, you know, like, and he would say, stop apologizing for existing. (laughs) And then the second thing I did under Jason's direction largely was get to know who God really is, you know? And um, there's verses like Isaiah, you are precious to me. And um, I honor you. God says he honors, you know, and I love you. And when you're afraid, just hold, hold my right hand, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, walk with you. And I learned to establish boundaries. Didn't even understand that. And I'm still really working yeah. on that. Um, yeah. And to not always be trying to control things and manage my environment so that I can be safe you know, like, and not cover, like I was always covering for Larry. Mm -hmm. We were always late and I would have the kids with their clothes, all dressed breakfast in the car waiting. Larry's clothes would be laid out on the bed. I would be standing by for anything he might decide he needed. And we'd still be 20 minutes late, you know, just, I didn't have to control things. So, um, and then Mm -hmm. say what I mean, you know, not say what I'm really thinking, not be afraid of what other people are going to say or change what I say because they might not like me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, another big help was to find a trauma trained therapist. I have complex CPTS, <laughs> PTSD <laughs> uh, complex yeah. because it went over a long period of time and it affects the paths in your brain that need to be changed. They've right now been working really hard in the past to just protect me and keep me from killing myself, you know, and um, to realize that if I need something, say it, just express it. It's not, it's okay. It might even get met, you know, like, um, and people are glad to help me instead of, they're not going to tell me I don't matter or my perceptions are wrong or. And then another thing is to get healthy friends who aren't toxic and who are normal <laughs> Ooh, yeah. and, and will listen to you, you know, because you have DV victims need someone to just talk and talk and talk and talk. Poor Jason has <laughs> gone deaf with me. <laughs> um, and like Diane Langbird, I, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a Christian psychologist in Philadelphia. She's written books and she, I'm, I follow her on Twitter and she just, you know, she states how important it is just to be there and let them talk. Um, and then just to find something in life that you enjoy, um, that you always wanted to do and couldn't, um, or mm-hmm. weren't allowed. And uh, yeah, weren't allowed underline that <laughs> and learn who you are, which I'm working on that. Um, I was so demeaned and, um, overshadowed and it's like I don't even know who I am or didn't you know it's been since 2011 that I left but um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure I like what I'm learning but uh, just to um, find something in the world that I can be to contribute you know like um, there's DV court in Cairns on Thursday mornings and these women have to come and sit across from their perpetrator for hours while they're waiting for their case to come up. So there's a safe room Mm. um, where these women can be pulled out and put in. No men are allowed in there. And we listen to them. We hand them tissues. We give them coffee, tea, 
and just something like that that I'm familiar with where I can be an encouragement or work through church, you know, something um, ministry at church or just something where my life can count for God for eternity. And, um, and then to be there, my kids, you know, just be their friends and get to know my grandkids that I was being withheld from for so many years, mm-hmm. be with my daughters when they have their baby and Mm-hmm. help so that mom and dad can go out on a date and I can stay and watch, you know, just so many things in life that are positive. And for a while, I wanted to learn all I could about DV. I would follow every abuse um, advocate, every website. I'd read stories. I got book after book, you know, and other people's stories. After about five years, it was getting me down too much. It was. You have to, yeah. um, not binge those those sort of things it doesn't it's not good for your mental health yeah you have to give yourself a break it's good at first to recognize what you went through but then um you can't focus on it all the time yeah yeah i learned that the hard way yeah just it's just about i was the same way i had to find my own identity because it was the same thing with me my identity was my husband and that was it and when i got out was like Oh, I can choose my own furniture. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can wear what I want. Oh, you mean I can go to France, visit my sister? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, I can get LASIK surgery for my eyes. I, you know, wore bottle caps most of my life. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just mind boggling. So, how about you, Jason? What um, what have you used to to heal in your life? Obviously got your church how is your church um how is it different than you know what we're used to um i'll start with the healing and the answer for healing is a lot of therapy um i think you know people need to get the help they need and so you know for me there's there's um mental health difficulties as a result of things and um yeah, I go to therapy. It's really good. It's really good for me. Really helpful. Helps me work through things. Helps me grow. Helps me make sense of, you know, whatever's going on. And uh, I would say, you know, to anyone with mental illness or with domestic violence, it's pretty good. Go get some therapy. It's really, really great to talk to someone um, and just learn about yourself. Um, and it's a process. It's a very long process. But um it's healthy. It's really wholesome. Um, our church. Yeah. So Crosspoint's doing really well. Um, we started six years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, we were caught up with the independent Baptist until a very long time later than we should have been. And I just, you know, I'm not involved with them anymore. And I'm really glad about that. Mm-hmm. We we we're at another church in Cairns that was um, just a really lovely place and a place that um, I think God used to bring a lot of healing for us. But there were a group of people there who um, it, it, the church had different convictions than us and some key denominational distinctives, and um, it, it just wasn't. Um, an ideal for us it was good it just wasn't ideal and so um 
we left to start another church on the other side of town. We went uh, with that church's support. It was uh, really great to have you know them uh, behind us, encouraging us. And um, you know, basically, we we built a church that is what we are in conviction, and it's just a really healthy place for us to be. You know, I I like going to church again. Um, it's not a battlefield. It's not a minefield. Yeah. Um, we, we get together and we worship God. We do it in prayer. We do it reading the Bible. We do it in singing together. And we do it in hearing the word of God carefully explained. So it's really simple. Try to keep things as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. As far as differences, I think one of the key differences, I mean, we're deliberate. We're very deliberate. Um, everything we do, we ask why. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we call it that? Why do we, you know, why do we have an offering? Why do we? Yeah. Why do we sing? Why do we have preaching? Why do? Why? 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 And just why? take it back as close as we can to um, the core thing that's supposed to be going on. So that's you know something that I love and I'm very passionate about. But as far as domestic violence, you know, it's kind of been, uh, you know, we're, uh, I think, you know, we're not a domestic violence church. I don't think most of the people that go there don't even know it's a big deal to many of us. Mm-hmm. But, um, we are a safe church, I think, and that is our mm-hmm. passion and our goal. That yeah. doesn't mean we won't ever have bad things happen. We, we probably will, and I'm braced for it. But it does mean that I spend a lot of time thinking about what could happen and doing everything I possibly can to make sure it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It means when I preach a text or anyone else preaches a text in our assembly that um, we pay attention to the context that we live in and the fact that, you know, abuse in the church is endemic, that trauma is a real thing, that it's medical, that it's not just, um, you know, a bad attitude or something. Um, we, we kind of ban the word bitterness. Um, we, we don't think bitterness is sin. We think bitterness is, is what happens when evil things happen and nothing's done about it. Um, well, they also so say that, you know, depression sin and anxiety is a sin. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, is just, look, obviously, you know, there is such a thing as not trusting God, not not letting the sovereignty of God work its way into our thinking and living. But yeah, look, there are real medical issues here. And yeah. the church ought to be a, a safe place where you get encouragement. And yeah, look, I, I tell people outright, I've told people in the last couple of weeks, you know, hey, you know, have you checked with a doctor? Go see a doctor about that. You know, get some help. I'm also happy to meet you and talk about it if if there's a spiritual side, but go go to a doctor, you know. So um, yeah, look, I think just being a place that isn't dangerous is something that we can do. And honestly, I would say to anyone who's listening to this, if you want to be a safe church, it is incredibly simple. Be good. Be good. Um, when I say good, I mean ethical goodness. Like, mm-hmm. don't be bad. Don't be bad. Be good. Um, it's, it's almost exactly that simple. 
So if, if you're, you're running along and you see a news story in a church had somebody get sexually abused, you think, hmm, you know, that could happen in our church. What could we do to prevent that? That's what a good person would do. So write a child protection policy. Mm -hmm. Go around your church building and look for where would this happen? Talk to somebody who was abused or who works with abuse. Get someone in and, and have them go through your church and audit it. Okay. So if there's a pedophile in our church, where are they going to, to abuse children? In the building. Because I'll tell you, I, I, know, I know of so many independent Baptist churches where in the church building, children have been abused, sexually abused. Mm -hmm. Put a mirror up. Turn on a light, put up a recording device. Mm -hmm. You do that. And it doesn't mean it can happen, but it's 90% less likely to happen. So just be good. Just recognize that, that pedophiles show up in churches, that abusers show up in churches more often than elsewhere because churches are an ideal hunting location. You get naive, trusting people who are thinking in terms of this is safe, this is family. And family is where abuse happens. Most abuse happens in the family. So um, when a woman comes to you and says she doesn't feel safe, it's really simple. Your first concern has to be for her safety. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. As a pastor, you're, you, you're, you're concerned about her marriage. Okay. You're concerned about, relation, uh, about the reputation of the church. Okay. If your first concern isn't, is she okay? You're not being good. It's just that simple. Um, yep. So be good. Believe that be person. Yeah. You, you put the person over the institution, whether that institution is marriage or that institution is the church. You put the person over the institution. And if people hear horrible things about your church, who cares? Close down your church, start another one, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is people. And if people aren't safe in your church, your church shouldn't be there. Mm, um, exactly. When you consistently just be good, you know, most of your problems will solve themselves. Um, if there's a crime committed, call the police. Be good. Um, yeah, get educated on on abuse. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and don't be defensive. You know, when somebody accuses the church of being filled with abuse don't don't get defensive ask them what one book should i read to understand this issue better and then read the book do it do it read read that book and read two others and they could be totally wrong on some things but learn educate yourself so that you're at least knowledgeable about your views and um that goodness in itself would solve huge problems yeah of course evil people hate goodness they hate it mm -hmm. abusive people hate goodness they hate it with a fiery passion and if you're just good and you just don't have any time for perversion of truth those people will hate you mm -hmm. right now those people come and settle down because it's safe for them in our churches many of our churches it's safe for abusers we will coddle their perversion and their evil. And we have to start preaching against their perversion and their evil. Yeah, my listeners know lots of different books and, and sources uh, for education. Um, Jimmy Hinton, the foremost authority on pedophiles in the church and how to spot them. Incredible. 
he was on the podcast and um it took a long time for me to find a good church uh, i had my yep. pastor on on and um and he lists all those things how to find a good church but he's very transparent about himself and his sin and he does not tolerate abuse he does not tolerate evil people in his church and everybody knows that i'm in, i'm involved with mending the soul an incredible organization that helps people to heal from from abuse and it's biblically and psychologically sound i definitely recommend it for you guys to find a group uh, mending the souls all over the world so but i wanted to ask you jason um has all of this that you've gone through, has it changed your view on marriage? Has it made you hesitate in getting married? Or what are your thoughts on that? No. I, look, obviously, I received a very twisted view of marriage. Um, but I did not accept a twisted view of marriage. And that started very young and continued right through to now. I, I just... Um, I always ask why, you know, what is true here? What's, what's really going on? And my conclusion is this is not marriage. Um, abuse is in itself a violation of the vow. He doesn't have to commit adultery to break the marriage. Marriage is a commitment to love mm -hmm. and abuse is literally a commitment to destroy. Yeah. And in no possible world is that, anything close to what marriage is abuse is a violation of the marriage vow and is in itself a destruction of the marriage so yeah i don't i don't um i have very uh clear views of what marriage are strong views about um domestic violence but no uh, i don't think um you know I, I like marriage it's a great thing you know i also like singleness and i encourage people to be single if you can as Paul did, Jesus wrong with was. It. Uh, it's a good thing um and i think the church uh, you know you, as paul argues you you can do a whole lot of things as a single that you can't do as a married person vice versa is also true and so the bottom line you know even according to scriptures is, is just be content where you're at and um, sure. devote your life to serving god so that's you know i'm quite content where i'm at right now but um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think marriage is a great thing if, if that's something that God opens up the door for. Well, I'm glad that you're not, like, afraid to get married or, you know, <laughs> thinking that every marriage is like that. Because I found out that it's not. Marriage can be very <laughs> wonderful and and glorious. You guys are, are helping so many people just by coming on the podcast here and listening to your story. So to the, the folks that are listening today and they're hearing your story and they're like, I can relate to what Jason and Joy are saying. That's me. I went through that too. What would you advise them to do? I mean, my, my simplest advice is run, get out. God does not require you to stay in danger. So I'm kind of assuming a Christian here, somebody who's staying because they feel they, they have to. And I just say, no, you don't. You don't have to. I don't care what your pastor says. I don't care which verses they shove into your face. Mm -hmm. um, 
the marriage has been horribly disfigured beyond recognition. It's it's not even close to marriage. Um, This is a systematic destructive process that a person is willingly engaging in. And obviously, look, give them time. I've n- I, you, you never meet these people who haven't already given it time. You know, they want their marriage to succeed. They've, they've talked to their husband. They've tried. They've asked yep. for help. They've gone to counseling. Um, obviously, you know, don't, don't walk out after, after the first week of um, things not being perfect, but draw boundaries. And it, once you come to the conclusion that he's not, he's not trying to change. He says he is, but he's not. You're free to leave. You're free to leave and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I could give right. you example after example of people in scripture running for protection, running for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no excuse for telling the woman to stay and take it. Um, as far as how to handle that, because I understand leaving can be dangerous. It's really difficult. Um, financially, uh, you've got custody issues, if there are kids involved, it's just really messy. And I, I, I think probably my first advice would be, if you can safely do it, draw boundaries and stick to them. Mm-hmm. Pick something small, very small. Um, I'm, I'm going to watch my favorite TV show. I am going to whatever it is. That that's your choice and your right to make your benefits and do it and don't put up with him saying otherwise. And what that will do is inflame the situation. He will, he will. And of course I say, if you can do it safely, but the point is assert it. And if he can't deal with that, say, listen, I'm drawing a simple boundary and you can't handle it. So we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And if he isn't repentant and he doesn't initiate counseling and he won't cooperate with getting help, then you don't have to give him forever. You know? Um, and it doesn't but, always have to be hitting or it doesn't have to be rape. It, I mean, mine was verbal and verbal and emotional abuse, financial abuse, neglect. Yeah. So people don't. They think it, this it is, well, it has to be violent, and if it isn't violent, then it's not real abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And in yeah. Christian abuse, it's rarely violent. Yeah. In many of the situations I work with, there may be one or two incidents that cross the line, but most of the abuse didn't cross the line into physical. Um, there doesn't need to be any physical. But usually there's, you know, one or two times when he lost control and did something. But again, broaden our minds, uh, our categories of abuse. What mom described earlier in the podcast about driving dangerously, that is physical abuse. Yeah. That is putting her in mortal fear. He's saying, I'm willing to risk your life to manipulate you, make you do what I want. That is physical abuse. It doesn't have to be a fist to the jaw. Um, Even slamming a table slamming a door can mm-hmm. be a form of physical abuse. You're saying I haven't, and I don't want to, but if I have to, I will. And when you put that into an environment of coercion and manipulation, that can be a form of, of direct physical threat. So we need to be, you know, 
you know in your heart that you don't feel physically safe, listen to it. Like you're, you're right. What you're sensing in this, that this is just horribly wrong. You're, you're, you're 99% chance that you're just totally right. (laughs) Um, Back yourself, back yourself. And here's, here's the huge thing is people think it's all or nothing and it's not, it's not all or nothing. What you can do is you can say, listen, two, two things. Number one, kick him out. If you can kick him out, make him go live at his friend's house. I know that's very hard to do, but if you can do it, do it, get a protection order. So he has to leave, change the locks. You have every right to do it. You have every right to do it, especially if you have kids. Hey, they need a place to sleep. They need a house. I need a house. You're out. So you're out, just you're out. You can always let him back in later, but kick him out. What you're doing is you're saying, I mean business about these boundaries. Um, And then the second thing is to realize separation is not divorce. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you'll have a pastor or parents or friends saying, oh, don't separate, don't separate, don't separate. Well, separation is incredibly low stakes. If you leave for a week, that's not the end of the marriage. Right. If he's a good man and, and you leave for a week, okay, he's going to have a massive wake-up call. He's going to think, whoa, what is happening? My marriage could be over right now. He is going to repent. He's going to begin to take serious action to get help for himself and for the marriage. You're going to see not, not just tears and words. You're going to see some real things happen. Yep. And if if they don't, well, then, you know, you're actually not dealing with a good-willed person who just wasn't paying attention because that can happen. You know, somebody just doesn't get it. They just don't understand how they're affecting the other person. Guys are pretty stupid. Guys are pretty thick sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes they're, they're not abusers. They're not, they have goodwill. They're just too clueless to get it. And that's how you, that's how you wake them up. But if they don't, if, if, they just start attacking you and lying about you and stalking you. Well, y- you know, <laughs> no, this is real abuse and you stay away. So le- separation is low stakes. It really is. It's not a big deal. If, if you leave for a week, everything gets sorted out. And then after, you know, you say at the end of a week, you say, look, um, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing. I'm going to take two more weeks and just see if you're serious about it. And he says, okay, yeah, you're right. I just want you to feel safe. In fact, you know, you take the house and I'll move out. A good man is going to do those things. And great, low stakes. Your marriage is going to be great. Like you're on track. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's low stakes. But if he's an evil man, then um, (laughs) you're going to know it and you're going to be out. And that's that's a good step. So I say, don't be slow to just walk away. Just get out so that you're safe. And he can decide whether or not he wants the marriage. Absolutely. Very, very wise words. Joy, what, what words of encouragement would you have for, for those that, maybe that's me. For those that are still in abuse situations? Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything else to add to what Jason, it was excellent. He said it all. <laughs> he did. He did a great job. But you are proof that there is life after abuse. There is life on the other side. It, it's it's not easy to come on a podcast and tell your innermost personal secrets. And I so appreciate you coming and sharing your story with the listeners. 
And it was so awesome to see you guys after so many years. It's great to see you too. Catch yeah, thanks for the opportunity to come on. Miss you guys. Yes, and, thanks. And you guys have to keep in touch and um, not be a stranger. I have listeners in Australia. I've seen it on my stats. So if you're in Australia, cool. contact so- Joy and Jason. I'll have all the information in the show notes. And... They will help you. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, no, we'd love to hear from people. Absolutely. God bless you guys. Me too. Thank you. Me too. Good to talk. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.